0: The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon. Live from the DraftKings Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio. This is Des Moines Sports Station. 1460 KXNO. O'clock hour. Welcome back. We take you until just before noon. We've got another keyword coming up here. We will get to that. Blair Kirkhoff from the Kansas City Star. Look forward to catching up with Blair. a uh, longtime uh, writer at the Star covers well. All the Kansas City teams as well as the Big 12. A staple in press boxes around the Big 12. What did I see? Missouri and Kansas are going to play football starting next year. Did you see that? Is that when that is? I think. Think, well, I know that the rivalry, the rivalry is back. They're going to play Good. at least for a couple
1: of years. It is necessary. Yeah, certainly. I agree
0: with you. Uh, that's one that, that's one that's missed, right? I mean. There's, there's a bunch of those. Oklahoma, A&M, Nebraska, Nebraska Texas.
1: that's going to be back, uh-huh. I want to say, maybe the middle of the next decade, or this decade. It's coming it back.
0: Indeed. All right, we're waiting on uh, Governor Reynolds. Uh, there's the update uh, from the Iowa Department of Health, uh, sadly, a record number of deaths uh, overnight, 19, wow. uh, which... I means terrible. Yes. Just terrible. The governor momentarily, in fact, she's on the stage. Let's get to her.
2: This morning. So today we have uh, 408 new positive cases for a total of 10,111 positive cases. And nearly 80% of today's positive cases are from the 22 counties where restrictions remain in place. And actually 261 of the 408 new positive cases are in Polk and Woodbury counties. There are 3,000 new negative cases for a total of 50,458. 60,569 total tests have been conducted in the state of Iowa. And on a per capita basis, that means about one in every 52 Iowans have been tested. We have 3,572 Iowans who have recovered for a recovery rate of 35%. Today, I am really sad to report that we have had an additional 19 deaths um, in Iowans who have passed away from COVID-19. We know that the virus causes the most serious illness uh, illness for older adults and those with underlying health conditions. Iowa's deaths are consistently uh, among this most vulnerable population. 56% of the deaths are residents of long-term care facilities. And despite the many, many proactive steps taken early on to protect our most vulnerable Iowans, preventing COVID-19 from impacting long-term care facilities is extremely challenging. We continue to work closely with our long-term care facilities across the state to test the staff and the residents. We're doing both diagnostic and serology testing to ensure that we have that they have adequate supply and proper use of PPE and provide guidance on enhanced infection control measures. So we're going to continue to be proactive and work with our facilities across the state and do everything we can just as they are to make sure that we're protecting uh, our most vul- vulnerable during these very, very challenging times. Uh, for several days I've also emphasized the importance of our expanding testing strategy to enable us to begin to phase in businesses and activities that were put on hold while we focused on mitigating the spread of the virus. Testing more Iowans provides us more information about the virus activity across the state, and it allows us to respond in a very targeted way to contain and manage the virus, especially um, in areas where activity is increasing or already high. As General Correll says, we're fishing where the fish are. So it's no wonder that our daily case counts have grown over the last few weeks. It's also important that we don't just focus on the number of positive cases, but also our hospital capacity and our ability to take care of Iowans that may need hospitalization. The fact is we can't prevent people from getting the COVID-19 virus. If we weren't testing in these areas, people would still have the virus, and without being tested, diagnosed, and isolated, it could spread even further. So going where the virus is active and determining its scope within a region, county, or a community gives us a much better opportunity again to contain it and learn how we can manage it for the long term so that life and business can continue to move forward safely and responsibly. As you know, Test Iowa is an additional tool that has allowed us to significantly expand testing across the state. And in two weeks since I announced this initiative, uh, we've opened um, drive-through test sites in Des Moines and Waterloo. The third site is in Sioux City. It opened uh, just yesterday. And the fourth uh, will open on Thursday in Cedar Rapids. Again, we're prioritizing areas where virus activity is high so that we can target our response. So you can also help. If you live in or near communities with testing sites, take the assessment at testiowa.com to see if you should be tested. At this time, testing is prioritized for essential workers and those who are experiencing symptoms, have been in contact with someone who has the virus or have traveled to an area where it's more widespread. More than 306,000 Iowans have taken the assessment. Um, so if you haven't taken it yet or if you've taken it but didn't qualify, just go to testiowa.com and click the Start, button, uh, the start Now button. If you don't qualify at first, you can take the assessment again whenever your health changes um, to see if you would possibly qualify later. Another way that we're using Test Iowa is through our strike teams. So these teams of nurses are deployed to communities uh, where virus activity again is high to conduct surveillance testing among employees who work in our long term care facilities or manufacturing facilities. Again, by providing diagnostic and uh, serology testing of these essential workers, we can identify and isolate positive cases and get them on a road to recovery, track virus activity, and ultimately create confidence in the safety of the work environment while protecting our most vulnerable populations. Since we started deploying the strike team, many counties have reached out for help, and while we remain focused on targeting communities where activity is increasing or already high, there are other ways that we can partner if there is a need. So Dubuque County is a great example, and Patrice Lambert the, is the executive director of the Dubuque County Health Department, she reached out to the Iowa Department of Public Health to ask for a strike team to come there. At that time, our strike teams were already committed, but Patrice was determined to make something happen, and together we found a way. So I've asked Patrice to join me today to tell us more about the effort to conduct surveillance testing of long-term care facilities and businesses in the community. Patrice?
3: thank you governor reynolds i'm very pleased to join you today and speak on behalf of the dubuque county public health incident management team which includes staff from dubuque county health department dubuque county ema the city of dubuque health services and the dubuque visiting nurse association we are so very grateful to you and your office governor reynolds as well as the iowa department of public health for your support of our local targeting testing program, which will begin tomorrow. Partnerships are how Iowa will get through this pandemic. And this is a great example of local and state partners collaborating to address a challenge. When Dubuque County long-term care facility was identified with an outbreak on April 29th, the Dubuque County Emergency Operations Center and the Dubuque County Board of Health reached out to the Iowa Department of Public Health and your office governor to request a strike team to come to Dubuque to test all residents and staff at that site. At the same time, we also started to experience an increase in positive cases elsewhere in the county. And the contact tracing conducted by the Dubuque Visiting Nurse Association identified a growing number of individuals who may have been exposed to those cases for several weeks prior to these issues our local public health officials had been working with our local health care providers to develop a plan for a community test site in case our local testing needs exceeded the capacity of our health care providers because of this local partnership we had a plan in place for a test site including the location site logistics and staffing support from local healthcare providers and the city of Dubuque and Dubuque County. Mm -hmm. With this plan in place and growing testing needs due to the first outbreak at our local long-term care facility and increasing positive case counts in the county, we contacted your office to request a test Iowa site in Dubuque County. While the resources were not available for a state strike team or the Test Iowa program to come to Dubuque County, your office governor and the Iowa Department of Public Health recognized that Dubuque County had a testing plan in place and critical local healthcare partners on board to work with a county public health team. We just needed testing supplies and test processing. Friday evening, we received word that the state could provide us with a thousand plus collection kits if we could conduct the testing program ourselves. Our local partners sprang into action and by midday on Sunday, we had had a plan in place to conduct a targeted testing program for all Dubuque County long-term care facility staff and individuals identified through contact tracing as having possible exposure to a positive COVID-19 patient in Dubuque County. The targeted testing plan for this week in Dubuque County is not open to the public. This is not a community testing program nor is it related to the Test Iowa program, but it is enabling us to expand our local testing with special populations. We will continue to work with the state officials to pursue community testing options for Dubuque County. And again, we are very grateful to our partners at the state level for the testing collection kits being provided to us so that we can test the at-risk population we have identified through contact tracing. Thanks again to staffing and logistical support from our local healthcare providers, our hospitals and community health center, Dubuque County and the City of Dubuque, we will begin our targeted testing program tomorrow and conclude on Friday. We hope this program can serve as a model for other counties and the state as we all look for ways to increase testing statewide while addressing the challenge of limited resources. Again, thank you, Governor Reynolds and your staff and the Iowa Department of Public Health staff for providing Dubuque County
2: with these testing supplies. Oh, thank you, Patrice, and I am so impressed with what you've been able to uh, coordinate locally and your efforts to really lean in, especially to identify essential workforce. I'm really happy that we were able to partner with you and your community, and I think it is a great example of how Iowans uh, step up to help each other when there's a need. So thanks for your determination and uh, good luck, best of luck on the testing this week. As you know, we're also working closely with manufacturing facilities across the state to conduct the diagnostic and serology testing of employees to protect the essential workforce and keep critical business infrastructure operating. The Department of Public Health has been um, compiling data from those surveillance initiatives to be able to report outbreak status at facilities. So here to provide an update is um, Sarah Reister.
4: Good morning. and Thank you, Governor Reynolds. Um, Dr. Padati has determined that it is necessary to protect the public health to release the name of an employer when there's been an outbreak, which is defined as 10% absenteeism or 10% of a workforce as a confirmed case or as identified as a close contact in a single location of an employment setting, which constitutes a high-risk environment for the potential of COVID transmission, such as a congregate setting in which social distancing is impossible or impracticable, including but not limited to meatpacking plants, food and beverage processing plants, factories with production lines, and warehouses. At this time, the Iowa Department of Public Health has confirmed outbreaks meeting this definition in the following facilities. The Tyson Plant in Columbus Junction, where we've identified 221 positive cases, and that represents 26% of the employees tested. Iowa Premium National Beef in Tama, We identified 258 positive cases, and that was 39% of the employees tested. The Tyson plant in Waterloo had 444 positive cases, and that was 17% of the employees tested. Tyson plant in Perry had 730 positive cases, which represents 58% of the employees tested. And TPI composites in Newton had 131 positive cases, or 13% of its employees that were tested. We really do appreciate these employers working with the Department of Public Health to offer testing to their employees. Identification and isolation of ill employees helps prevent the spread of the virus within the community.
2: Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Throughout this pandemic, Iowa has benefited from federal funding to assess with a variety of critical needs. The latest is the Elementary and Secondary School Relief Fund to help schools contain unanticipated expenses that have resulted from their response efforts. So here to provide information is Director Lebo, um, uh, the, the Director of the Department of Education. Ann?
5: Thank you, Governor Reynolds. Spring has brought some unexpected challenges, but I quickly learned that no challenge is too great for the administrators, teachers, and staff who work in our schools. In a short turnaround and with little time to prepare, they have engaged with students and families while simultaneously working to navigate this new learning environment we find ourselves in. Supporting equitable access to instruction for all students, purchasing educational technology, getting devices and Wi-Fi hotspots to students who need them, and providing professional development opportunities for educators and staff as they adjust to this sudden shift all come at a cost to our schools. Now we have financial relief to help. Iowa has received over $71.6 million dollars in federal funding through the Elementary and Secondary Emergency School Relief Fund to help our schools address some of the costs incurred due to the COVID-19 pandemic. My team has been hard at work to develop and launch an application process so that we can quickly and efficiently get these critical funds to our schools. I'm happy to announce that schools can access the application today through the Consolidated Accountability and Support Application, or CASA, system. They have until the close of business on Monday, May 11th to complete the application, and we have a virtual meeting today at 1 o'clock p.m. to discuss this process in more detail with school leaders. 90% 90% of the $71.6 million will go directly to school districts, which will use a portion of the funds to provide services to non-public schools in their areas. The remaining funds will be used for state-level educational efforts to address urgent issues caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Every one of Iowa's 327 school districts will receive an allocation of these funds to address COVID-19-related needs at their schools, including online learning support, professional development, Educational technology, mental health services, and services to support students with disabilities. The list of allocations by stu- school district and the allowable spending categories are available on the Iowa Department of Education's COVID-19 webpage. Districts can expect to receive their allocations on May 13th. The spending window for these funds is retroactive, going back to March 13, 2020. Districts have to use the funds by September 30th, 2022. It seems fitting that this is also Teacher Appreciation Week, as we provide this support to schools. There has never been a better time to recognize and thank our teachers for the work they do to educate our more than 554,000 students in school districts and non-public schools across the state. We've all had teachers who inspired us and even changed our lives saying thank you is a simple gesture but it carries a powerful impact I would like to recognize and thank a few teachers who have influenced my own life my high school English teacher, Mrs. Hush who was instrumental in my first public speaking appearance at graduation and my path to teaching English. Mrs. Murphy who was a savior to me as a new teacher to the district and has been the same to my oldest daughter who she now serves. Mrs. Lammers one of my dearest childhood friends, and most genuine and dedicated teachers I know. Mr. Lebo and the late Mrs. Lebo, my junior high teachers who taught me about rocks and writing, never expecting they would be my in-laws one day. And finally, my mom, Mrs. Rouse, or Miss Weltha as her fifth grade students would recall, who has been my greatest gift of all. Now more than ever, it's the little things that matter. I encourage each of you to take the time to share your gratitude for the little things our teachers are doing every day that lead to the bigger things that life has to offer as part of each new tomorrow. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Anne, and since it's Teacher Appreciation Week, I also want to thank Iowa's amazing teachers, including one in particular who's very special to me, and that's my daughter. This has certainly been a challenging time. Under normal circumstances, you'd be preparing to celebrate your students' accomplishments as the school year nears an end. Today, I celebrate you and your dedication to making continuous learning possible for your students and their families now, and for being their champion when they finally return to learn thank you for all that you do to grow and develop iowa's future and with that we'll go ahead and open it up for questions
6: governor you mentioned the serology tests yep can you um share what testing what serology testing the state is using considering the fda has found that a lot of these tests aren't reliable
4: Thank you, Carolyn. I don't have the exact specific uh, on the test, but just like any other test, the serology testing that we are doing in the state has been validated by our state hygienic laboratory, so I would have to ask Dr. Pantella um, or Dr. Padati what the exact you know, test is that they're using, um, but the the tests that are being used have been validated, just like all of our other tests have been validated at the state hygienic lab.
2: Our serology. I think most times we're doing a diagnostics test along with a serology test I think in a lot of the cases so both are being conducted
6: are you including those serology totals in the total state total or would you be willing to release those figures separately
2: to know how many Iowans are getting these antibody tests I mean, yeah, we can give you that number. I've already said I know for I I don't have the exact total number, but in some of the facilities that we've been testing, the processing facilities, we did 7,500, I think, uh, and that was the diagnostic testing, and then we did 5,000 serology testing. So I do know that number, but I believe it's there's probably more that have been added to that, and then that wouldn't include I do not believe the number of serology tests that we've done on at some of our long term care facilities, especially with our staff. So, um, Dr. Bajati, she, you know, at some point we'll bring her. Forward for this press conference, and she can talk about the study that she's been doing. And they're watching very closely what we're doing in the state of Iowa. So I think uh, we'll have an opportunity to talk about that at some point in one of our press conferences, and she can give you an update on that. Or Sarah, either one. I don't care who gives who does that. Can
6: Can one of you guys explain the the rationale behind the 10 percent threshold for businesses having to report an outbreak? Because obviously, for larger employers, that could mean upwards of hundreds of employees um, before they would need to report to the state. Um, I know Iowans have raised concerns about that.
4: yeah thank you for your question so the 10% figure is um, what we use when we're looking at during our flu season so um, it says it's a we it's a consistent standard that we apply as we're looking at flu activity throughout the state and so we ask schools for example to report to the department when they have more than 10% of their students out ill and so it's a it's just building off of what we use um, for influenza surveillance
0: Governor, the um, share of new cases each day has been... Um, growing in the in the 77 counties mm-hmm. that where the restrictions loosened. It was around 5% early on today. You said it's 20%. Do you have any concern that more a greater share of the new cases are happening in those counties?
2: Well, we're going to continue to watch trends. We're going to continue to be proactive. So we're setting up additional test Iowa sites uh, throughout the state so that we can get in front of it. But really what we're looking at is trends and we're looking at virus activity. So with the data that we're able to collect and with Iowans going online and using the assessment, that Will give us some insight into maybe where it's happening. Is it uh, in a community? Is it county-wise? Is is a facility? Is it a business? I mean, that allows us to really start to drill in and again get in front of it before we see a significant spike. And so we'll continue to look at the data and continue to manage, continue to be proactive in our surveillance testing so that we can identify and look at trends as we move forward. But we're looking at it a daily on a daily basis. Still, the majority have by far has uh, been. In the 22 counties. A lot of times, when it's in a long term care facility, I mean, they've done just about everything that they can do. And it's just really hard in that setting once it's exposed uh, to contain it, regardless of everything that they've done to really try to prevent it. And so that's not indicative of a com- probably a community spread, but more isolated to the long term care facility. Would that be appropriate to say that?
4: Yeah. I just think that you know what we're finding here in iowa is the same thing that we've seen in other states is the virus spreads very quickly and efficiently in settings where people live and work closely together um, and so we're seeing we're seeing that trend you know play out in iowa as well
0: it's driving that increase in those 77 well, counties
2: we're watching and that's what we'll be able to tell by the data that we collect but again it's in households it's in congregate settings it's in um, uh, manufacturing facilities where people work in close proximity and so the more that we can identify and that's why we've been proactive in doing the testing i mean we're working with our facilities as you know to partner with them so that they can find out who's testing positive and who's testing negative so that we can start to isolate them do the case investigation get them on a path to recovery start to look at maybe separating shifts and really helping mitigate and control and manage the spread and so we can have a better understanding of what the um what the Scope of the virus activity is, and so they've been, you know, been really good partners in helping us really walk through that, so that they have some sense, and so they can, and so their employees have some sense of confidence, because, you know, I mean, again, the statistics show that 80% of Iowans will just have no or mild symptoms, much like flu. It's the 20% that we really need to be focused on, and those are older um, adults and those with underlying conditions, and so that helps provide, I think, some confidence to the employees. To, uh, to to understand what that looks like in the facility and where they're at as they start to open back up and, and ramp back up.
6: Governor, some of the counties that are closed um, or with the stricter restrictions um, have fewer case counts than some of the counties that are open. Among those that are open, Pottawatomie with 61 cases, two yeah. deaths. Crawford, 96 cases, one death. So can you explain what, if anything, goes into decisions about potentially closing some counties that are open and why there's that discrepancy there? Yeah,
2: well, we're looking at trends, um, Caroline, not just a snapshot in time. And so we're trying to look at trends over time and as you'll see, things are starting to even decline on the eastern side of the state because of when they entered into it and how they've kind of hit their, you know, kind of hit the peak and now they're starting to um, uh, they're starting to trend down. And so that's some of the things that we will look at as we move forward. But again, because of the data and the way that we're really, that we've moved into kind of the recovery phase of uh, addressing um, COVID 19 and the coronavirus, is we can. Take a look from a county, from a community, uh, right down to a zip code, on where we're seeing the virus activity and how we respond to that. And that might not mean that we have to do anything different, except for educate Iowans that this is what we're seeing in your community. You need to be uh, more cautious. If you're going, if you're a vulnerable Iowan, you most certainly need to continue to stay home. We have to remember that even in the 77 counties, we still have in place uh, you can't gather in, gr- in groups larger than 10. That's still in place, even with some of the businesses that are open. It's very restricted to what we have in place. It's 50% of the capacity. Uh, You have to social distance, so anytime you're out, you still should be social distancing of six feet, and so people need to be responsible, and I believe and I trust Iowans to do the right thing, and I trust our businesses to do the right thing, and we're actually seeing that. They're being really thoughtful about how they open back up. They're being uh, very judicious and making sure that they're meeting all the guidance so that they can provide um, their customers. Customers and their, um, the, the people that they serve, the confidence that they expect um, to come back in and to start to slowly open things up. So we can do it in a responsible and safe manner based on the data that we're doing. We're lucky to do that and it's only going to get better. The more that we can test and understand and manage and contain, then we're going to start to open things up. But you know, you've heard me say a hundred times there's more than just the virus there is the physical there is the mental well-being and there is the financial well-being too iowans are seeing their livelihoods just destroyed and so we have to manage all of that so you can't just look in isolation you have to balance all of that when you're making decisions and again i believe in iowans i trust iowans to do the right thing there's going to be a few outliers that's with anything and uh, together we're going to move through this and we're going to start to reopen our economy we're going to get Iowans back to work. Uh, we're going to get to the other side of this.
0: KXNO and iHeart want to help you with your bills. Text the keyword, bills, to 200200 200 right now. It's your chance to win $1,000. Bills to 200200. 200. You'll get a confirmation text info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Uh, Blair Kirkhoff covers, well, not the bills, but the Chiefs, and he will join us next Uh, We will also uh, get back into the uh, sad passing of Dan McCool, coming up a tribute to him uh, as well. We take you until noon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106. Week in building. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO.
5: And now on 106.3 FM.
0: Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Take you until noon. Ah, let's get to Blair Kirchhoff. Shall we head south? Kansas City area, the Kansas City star. He's longtime sports columnist. He's Blair Kirkhoff, and he joins Trent Condon and myself, Ken Miller. Good to talk to you, Blair. How are you?
7: I'm great. Hope you guys are doing all right. We're doing
0: the best we can, like everybody else, right? We're just um, trying and fingers crossed and hoping that we get to the fall and we've got college football. But I'm convinced the NFL will play. Are you at that point that the NFL seemingly is going to be a go? Are you still undecided? No,
7: I, I think it will be. I, I think... You know it's funny we feel probably more confident in the NFL than we do in college football but I think that's because the NFL speaks with one voice right and college football speaks with a bunch of voices right uh, 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 the the chancellors and presidents of the universities the commissioners of the conferences the football coaches there is no there is no you know central outlet for for the uh, for college football but the NFL just speaks from Park Avenue in New York and even though you know we have a team here, and we've got the Vikings and the Bears, and the Packers, and everything else, um, they're letting the NFL do the speaking for them. It doesn't mean that the NFL, if it does come back, you know, in September, is going to look the same in every market. You know, it's the, 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 the coronavirus is different in New York than it is in Kansas City, so I could see um, fans, you know, socially spaced fans in some stadiums and no fans in others. But I, I do think that the, everything I've heard is, the, you know, the, the NFL was, is is kind of confident in in, um, in in playing games. Um, and we, we'll see. I mean, there's 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 still you know months before a decision has to be made on this, this uh, uh, on football.
1: And that's certainly good news there. We're talking with Blair Kirkhoff from the Kansas City Star. Blair, over the weekend, your newspaper had an article talking to Gene Taylor, the athletic director at Kansas State, former number 2 at the University of Iowa, talked about a bunch of different plans, all the contingencies that are out there that you certainly have to do at this time. Was there one that made you say, boy, if we don't get a normal schedule, that's the one that kind of looks the best for me? Yeah, that was.
7: I thought that was interesting. It's, I, I hadn't seen an AD lay it out. Fight like uh, like Gene Taylor did, and and he did. He went through everything, right? He went through um, you know a season that's, that that's basically normal, starts on time. A season that's delayed. A season that doesn't include non-conference games, conference games only. A season that starts in the spring um, and, and is played in the spring. Um, I, I I guess I'm of the of, of the opinion that um, of, of all the scenarios that he laid out, the, the one that would, would seem to uh, maybe satisfy the most is some kind of delay to the start of the season. And, uh, and, and then maybe it just comes down to playing your, your conference opponents. And in the case of the big 12, that's that's all of them, right? You'd have nine, you'd have nine games. Um, maybe, maybe there'd be an opportunity to play a 10th game, but um, that, that would just be, uh, when I read that story and, and it, was, it was kind of, reviewing those ideas I, I thought yeah that that one that one makes sense that would delay the maybe delay the start of of the season make sure that students are back i mean that's that was a, sort of the, one of the first definitive messages i got from from college football within the last month that there wasn't going to be sports on a campus that didn't have students um now everybody has everybody has said that uh if college presidents are either saying we're going to open our doors on time or they're not saying anything. Nobody is saying that we don't expect students back in the fall. So, you know, I know that the, like, in, in our part of the country, the, the chancellors and presidents at, at Missouri and Kansas and Iowa and Nebraska and Oklahoma, uh, they've all expressed confidence that, that uh, they expect to have their doors open in the fall for students. So, um, yeah, I, I guess that. But, but there's still you still have to think about it in terms of caution and, and uh, making sure that everyone's safe and what what you know where, where is there more um, you know where is less social spacing evident than at a football game right, right. 67 60, 70, people sitting sh- shoulder to shoulder a locker room full of more than 100 you know 85 to 100 home game athletes and, and Maybe 150 when you count all the, you know, the the support personnel. That that all has to, you know, we all have to feel confident and comfortable that that's. That's going to be a safe scenario.
0: Well, since we're on the college topic, let's. Uh, the announcement was made, and I'm assuming, Blair, obviously it moved the needle uh, in your part of the country, the border war, as they call it, that began play and was played for 93 straight years from, two, uh, from 1919 to 2011. We're talking about Kansas and Mizzou meeting on for the football field. They'll finally do it again, but not until 2025. I'm guessing that was a very well-received announcement, Blair.
7: Yeah, it was. Um, I was a little disappointed that it wasn't um, it wasn't made in, in, in with a bigger splash. That at least you know you could have done a Zoom pre- teleconference with uh, with the athletic directors of both schools instead. It was just a release, you know, simultaneous release by Kansas and Missouri to resume. And but the conclusion I drew was, look, it was Kansas that had turned its back on on the rivalry, not Missouri. Missouri always wanted to continue playing it when it left the Big Twelve. And I've often cited the. You know Iowa, Iowa State uh, continue to play and and um, and look Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech, South Carolina, Clemson, all those you know, Colorado, Colorado State they they all play each other and they're in different conferences. The difference was there are two you know two states. It's not like a state legislature could get involved with uh, you know with with, with running the border war. So um, Kansas was ticked off and and they stayed ticked off about uh, about the uh, Missouri leaving. Uh, and, and ending, with, with and they said ending the rivalry. But I think what's a couple things have happened since then. You know, the the Big Twelve is on more secure financial footing than it was in the few years after the realignment. And um, and, and and I also think Kansas football has been so bad for so long now. It, you know, more than about a decade. Right? Mm-hmm. Mark Mangino left the program. That Kansas needs opportunities to excite its fans and uh, and and sell tickets to home games neither of which has happened much in the last 10 years and you know re-engaging with a rival is a way to do that and it didn't hurt that the, 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 there's been a change of athletic director at ku from shane zinger to uh the, to jeff long uh and and it's and it's even though it's not until 2025 that they're starting in football they their six-year uh, six six-year basketball series is starting this year um, in in December at Sprint Center with KU in Missouri, with two in K.C., two in in Lawrence, and two in Columbia. So, um, the the pettiness and the petty feelings on the Kansas side are, are over and. And, and the schools are getting
0: back together, which is great to see. Good for uh, absolutely. Well, Blair, the NFL schedule comes out on Thursday, and we're all looking forward to that as NFL fans. Trent and I began the show today, speculating. You know, the Chiefs are slated to open up on the Thursday night as the defending Super Bowl champion. Most cases has, I think, there's been one instance where it didn't happen uh, due to uh, stadiums being used. I think it was Baltimore with the uh, the Ravens and the Orioles had a home game, and they didn't want to overwhelm the uh, downtown area of Baltimore, but. Look Looking at the the Chiefs' schedule, the home slate's not the sexiest. With the Panthers, Falcons, and Jets, neither of those three teams made the playoffs. Texans did. They won their division. That would make some sense. I'm not sure they want to go with a division rival. And here come the Patriots. The Patriots are on the schedule, but Tom Brady's not a part of them, as everybody knows. Does that seem like the most logical foe when we do get the schedule released on Thursday, Blair? Patriots-Chiefs to lift the lid
7: on the season? Yeah, I think you've hit it. I think it's going to be either the Patriots or the Texans, you're, because none of the other ones make a lot of sense. Um, and and um, you're, you're right, the NFL has always given that slot to the Super Bowl champion, uh, except for special circumstances. And last year was one of those. Remember it was the Bears-Packers?
0: Right. Oh, sure, 100, 100 years, yeah.
7: Year, the 100-year anniversary, but we don't have that this year, and, uh, and we've sort of gotten the winks and the nods from the Chiefs that they're going to be in that game, so um, so we've all thought the you know the Texans would be a playoff rematch, and two two dynamic two of the three great dynamic AFC quarterbacks uh, going head to head, and and then the Patriots. I mean, look, that's um, you know, what, what can you say? It is it, they are Tom Brady less, but uh, they'll be favored, and and I think the Patriots. I think there'll be a curiosity factor with yeah. the with, with the with the Patriots as well. Who's is, is, is really it's really going to be snitamic quarterback for them and. And um, what they're going to be about without without Brady. So I do think it's going to be one of those two. Um, but gosh, I got to tell you, the the um, there's so many quarterbacks and new with new teams this year. That's that's going to be whenever the NFL season begins. Just seeing all these guys in different uniforms is going to be the I think the storyline of Week One of the NFL season.
1: Blair, uh, last thing for me as we come on the heels of the championship, a Super Bowl first appearance in fifty years. Patrick Mahomes, the fifth year option was exercised. not a surprise, certainly by any means from the Kansas City perspective. How close do you believe they are though to a contract extension?
7: Well, you know I, I've read this. i I haven't heard Brett Beats, the general manager say it, but I've read that he has said that they they were working on Patrick Mahome's extension right after they drafted him. That's how confident <laughs> wow. they were. That's how confident they were that he was going to be a dynamic quarterback. I don't oh. think anybody thought thought this. but, right. um, but I, I think that this has been sort of orchestrated by the Chiefs. They know they, they knew exactly what their financial situation is going to be every year. And uh, my my best guess is that you're going to see the Mahomes contract announced uh, sometime in either late august or early september and and uh, it'll be it'll be a record i mean i think mm-hmm. I think we're looking at some in five years at forty to forty two per uh with, with a lot of it upfront uh and, and guaranteed money that can be distributed uh, over the you know over the length of the deal and, and and in such a way that it can free up some space for the chiefs in in that time slot so um so yeah, the um, everybody wants to see it done. Mahomes wants to get it done. Everybody wants to see it done. So uh, it'll be a load off when it when it does happen. And I do think it'll happen by uh, uh, by, by the, before the beginning of the
0: season. Blair, last thing for you. Uh, I guess um, we're going to ask you to speculate again. But it seems like baseball. You know, maybe July 1st, we've we ser- we've, we've uh, read uh, most recently, I've always thought July 4th made sense for so many reasons, Independence Day, America's pastime, uh, if indeed they had to wait to close to that point. Is that what you anticipate? Do you have any idea when the fans will, maybe the fans won't be able to see the Royals live, but at least there will be baseball played with the Kansas City Royals. What do you anticipate?
7: Yeah, I do. I do think that. I, I'm starting to see the reports that you guys are too with that. You know, a, a two, two to three week spring training, uh, in, in starting in mid June. I think it was June 10th, the day that I saw everybody reporting back to Arizona and four, or maybe in, the, maybe in their own stadiums. I, that I don't know. Um, and, um, uh, but, but July 1st being the day, I, I do like the idea. If this comes to pass, the idea of the, the three 10, 10 yes, teams, divisions. I do too. Um, you know, for us in the middle of the country, I, that's fantastic, right? to see yeah. – uh, for Royals fans to see Cubs, Cardinals, uh, in, you know, in addition to the you know Twins, White Sox, and all that, and and um, I, I I love that notion, and uh, um, maybe you know a series against each. Well, I, don't, I don't know how many games will end up being played, but to, to cut down on the travel makes sense, mm-hmm. and have the Eastern teams play each other and the Western teams play each other, and then you know have an I thirty five so uh, basically uh, schedule that would that would be great for for us and it's uh, and I just, I can't wait for it. I hope it happens. I cannot wait for it to happen. We should be, you know, how many games? Uh, 30, 30, 35 games in the season by now. Yep. Right. About Close, to, yep. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is just killing me. I, um, that's, you know, that's the soundtrack of our, of our spring and summer evenings that, yeah. that we're missing here. And, um, and I know the Royals have been bad the last couple of years. We're, our paper right now is working on a retrospective of the 2015. Um, championship run we started this week and, and the local table is wa- running all the victories the postseason victories nice. each night here. so there's only so much of that you can do though And I've, I love going back and, and remembering the Super Bowls and World Series and NCAA tournament games and all that and TV's doing what it can but you know, I'm ready for some sports, some, some live sports for sure
0: here, uh, here. Blair yes. Kirkhoff, Kansas City Star, com. Blair, of course, longtime columnist at the Star. Blair, thank you, as always. Appreciate when you find time for us. Thank you. Hey, great talking to you guys. Good Take talking care. to you. Blair Kirkhoff, uh, Kansas City Star. Well, Trent, let's finish the program where we started. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned uh, longtime uh, wrestling uh, journalist. Uh, Dan McCool uh, passed away at the age of 60. Tony Hagar from Iowa Wrestling was one of the people, one of the many, many people uh, that made their way into my timeline. The tributes, the outpouring of support, what Dan McCool meant to them personally, what he obviously meant to the wrestling community of Iowa. And Tony Hagar from Iowa Wrestling joins us. Uh, Tony, uh, Trent and Ken, thanks for coming on. I, I saw what you uh, put on Twitter yesterday. Uh, boy, Dan McCool... Um, Uh, That's a big loss, as everybody in the wrestling community knows. Uh, Tony, what did he mean to you?
8: You know, Dan was just as a a, now I'm in the media world, but as a former wrestler, he just was. You know, we didn't have social media, we didn't have all these media outlets at the time, and in wrestling wasn't you know, I guess people weren't talking about it on the radio and whatnot. So anytime you could get you know a front page story about wrestling. Uh, Or in the sports section itself was was huge, and Dan uh, fought to have his stories and his um his articles on as front page as he could and as many times as possible. And and I think he just had the respect from wrestlers and coaches just because of how hard he would grind to get those stories. You know, he didn't have probably email back then in the '90s, or it's not as available as it is now, you know, he can text people. He had to straight up call people and go to their, go to their school. And I think he just meant, uh, he touched so many different people's lives because of that. And it has just a tremendous respect for what he did.
1: Tony is, it's such a hole in the wrestling community because he was an advocate, and he wasn't just an advocate for the Southeast pokes and Waverly Shell Rocks of the world. He was, he was an advocate for the little guy, and he was not just going to the CIML Wrestling Tournament, but he'd go to the Bluegrass, Bluegrass Conference Tournament and, and take pictures and write about these kids and know about these kids. That hole it is certainly lost losing him, and, and that's something that I'll always remember. It didn't matter where you came from, where you were. You're a wrestler in this state. You were important to Dan McCool.
8: Yeah, he he just wanted the story right and he didn't know he didn't care what a you know if they were a multi-state champion um i think it's just the the unique story behind any any wrestler or any you know any sport it was he just he looked at that as a as a story to tell and you know he he he's been away from the sport as far as you know people reading his content for a while since he's been at the Des Moines Register but lately he's been coming and showing up to high school duels and tournaments and taking pictures and yeah, I think just his presence alone you know kids these days didn't really don't really know who he is but every single coach knows who Damn and Cool is and he he could just tell that he you know, he'd have a chair when you're basically where you weren't supposed to sit during these tournaments. <laughs> Dan McCool was able to just pick up a chair and, and plant himself there. And, and people, no one even said anything to him. It's just because he's, he's been around the sport for so long that I think, uh, one, he probably didn't care. Right. Two, you know, people just respected him, you know.
1: Uh, it, it was great, and uh, I mentioned I saw him right before the state tournament. I was calling the Regional Duel at Waukee, and he was there taking pictures and talked to him oh, for a good half hour just about wrestling in general, about the Waukee team that we saw, Central Iowa, but the state of Iowa. And another great thing I always loved that he did, he still had that writing aspect. And on Facebook, uh, if you you're friends with him on Facebook, the history of it, that's a missing piece, and you know, as we lose people, this is something that a lot of times, and especially a sport like wrestling, that doesn't have the media fact books that we see for football, for basketball, missing that component. There's an angle there, Tony. You got to get to work. You got to keep up the history, like uh, Dan did so well.
8: <laughs> yeah, he he had like days in history that he would report on, and and he just had a. Some people, you know, can just remember that stuff, and it's like a you know flip up a switch he, he could tell a story about a wrestler from some you know ten fifteen years ago. I don't have that, so I gotta find somebody <laughs> um you know deep down at an i wrestle. I always wish that I could get somebody like dan to 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 be evolved but um you know he he had his own way and um uh, he was happy with the way he was living at you know right now um that was how he wanted to live and didn't really want to be a part of a media outlet so he had to respect that, right? So. He
0: certainly touched a lot of people, Tony, no doubt about that. Tony, thanks for coming on, sharing some of your memories uh, of uh, Dan McCool, a great wrestling writer who chronicled it in the state of Iowa for so long and did such a good job and touched so many people. Tony, thank you.
8: Yeah, appreciate you giving him the time. Thanks, good, guys.
0: Yeah, good to talk to you. Tony Hager, uh, Iowa Wrestle.
1: Uh, joining us as we wrap things up, Trent Condon.
8: Yeah, it's a Tuesday
1: on the agenda, anything for tonight no, well, no, <laughs> the standard stuff, yeah, and um, where we are. I still haven't watched that documentary that you mentioned Oh, on, the Alex Smith On Alex Smith oh, it's George well, it's not true
0: it's yeah, it's I get, good, yeah.
1: yes. I'm glad I
0: watched it it's It's amazing what he went through to get back, yeah, darn it. went to ask Blair Kirkhoff about that oh yeah, that was so been a good long one. uh in Kansas City. I'm hoping Alex Smith plays again. I think it'd be a comp- huge long shot that he does. I mean, wait till you see some of the pictures. I don't know if I want him to. I'd, yeah, yeah, it's a fair point. Kind of the scary right, the Theisman thing, right? It, it is. It's worse. Trust me, it's worse. Um, but the similarities to him and Theisman when they did it, etc., the same day, day crazy. All right, Murphy and Andy at 2. Fanatics at 4. Morning Rush tomorrow at 6. Cappy joins us tomorrow. Miller and Condon, 10 to noon, 1460 KXNO, 106.3.